Beautiful. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, we are going to do what we hope will be an informative and uh, different talk uh, for a late afternoon. We're actually going to try to reach down into the complexities of the types of patient we see and model that for you a little bit. We'll talk about this uh, before we start. Here's the faculty. Um, I'm uh, Chuck Raison. I am a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm joined by Clay Jackson, um, who is a family practice doc and a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Psychiatry at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine, and Rakesh Jen, who is uh, a psychiatrist and clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Texas Tech Health Sciences Center School of Medicine in Midland. Here are our disclosures. Here is the general disclosure, and here are our learning objectives. Clay, can I get, I need you to, so I've gotten used today to, to taking off clothes at the beginning of talks, and I'm going to do the same thing again um, to highlight the fact that today, thank you, sir, um, I am going to enact a patient with major depressive disorder, and we're going to walk through um, the case and what really tends to happen with people. Um, doctor, thank you. Dr. Jackson here. Um, true to form. He's just a great guy all the way around. Um, Who are you? Uh, yeah. This is the exciting part. Um, Dr. Jackson, uh, for today's purposes, is a family practice doc out in rural Tennessee. He is somewhat isolated, and, but he's lucky. He's part of an integrative uh, health service. Thank you, sir. Here we do this. And um, as part of that integrated health service access on a weekly basis to an outstanding consulting psychiatrist. Yes, so I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Jackson. All yours, sir. So um, you met Chuck, who is magically transformed into uh, Dan. And Dan's a patient of mine. He's a new patient, actually, to me, uh, 45 years old, Caucasian male. He uh, presented with a two-month history of worsening depressed mood. His mood was worse in the mornings. Um, he had middle and terminal insomnia, so no problem going to sleep, but uh, he awakened during the middle of the night, and early in the morning before it was time to wake up, he awakened. Decreased appetite, he had weight loss, anxiety. He was in the morning, he said, I'm just crawling out of my skin. I, I, anxiety is worse in the morning. Um, occasionally he thought uh, things would be better off. If it's going to be this bad, I'll just, I may as well be dead, but he did not have an active plan to end his life. Um, he said his partner five years left him, and uh, she said, I was too moody for her to handle. And this sort of precipitated uh, this mood change a couple of months ago. Um, he's had prior episodes of depressed mood. Um, he had uh, significant depression at age 19, 25, 32, and 38. Of course, now he's, he's 45. One time before, he was treated with an antidepressant. Uh, it was an SSRI, but he stopped that uh, after two weeks because he had sexual dysfunction. And those episodes, those four prior episodes, spontaneously resolved. Now, on his uh, routine blood work, he had an elevated um, uh, uh, hepatic enzyme, his uh, liver function test, AST was elevated. Um, this was due to hepatitis C. He was in the risk category. We screened him. He was positive, and so um, he had a genotype that was amenable to treatment. He did not have cirrhosis on ultrasound, and so he was uh, slated to start treatment for HCV, hepatitis C. Um, no other psychiatric or substance use diagnoses per history. Um, he's a construction worker and plays drums in a local rock band, which does 80s hair band covers, and uh, he wears a wig for that, and he's awesome. Very popular. Um, given the severity of his symptoms and uh, fear that the hepatitis treatment was going to make him worse, 
um, he agreed to start an SNRI. Um, he was afraid hepatitis treatment was going to make it worse. He th was associating that with old interferon treatment, which we know can cause depressive symptomatology. Um, but we, we cleared that up. He said, yeah, I I'm still willing to start an SNRI. And he said, you know, if it has sexual dysfunction, no problem. I, I'm, I'm too depressed. I can't find anyone else to be with anyway in terms of sexual dysfunction. So four weeks later, he had uh, no improvement. Um, I told him that it takes a while to work. Uh, hang in there. He was tolerating his HCV treatment fine. Uh, eight weeks later, he showed a response to treatment. Um, the liver enzymes were better, but his AST remained elevated, although his ALT had normalized. And 10 weeks later, he came back, and uh, Dan had a new girlfriend who called my office and said, really worried about Dan. Uh, he's taking his medicine, um, but he's getting worse. And now you're going to see that visit. Hey, so, man. Hi, hi, Dr. Jackson. How are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Oh, uh, Dan, what's going on? I, I got a call from your girlfriend. She said things are not going well. She, oh, I don't know. I think maybe she's... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think she's over... She's probably overreacting. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm much worse than I was a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't know. Maybe I am. I, I, mornings are hell. I just tell you, man. Mornings are hell. I, 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 I feel so anxious. And my, I, I just... I feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin. It's, it, it's just like... I, I, it's, 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 man, I, 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 oh, you know, and anxiety and I down, it, oh God, I don't know. I've made so many mistakes. It's, it's, I don't know. So you, you were doing better on the antidepressant when you took it. Did you have any of the sexual dysfunction, those problems that you had? Have you been taking the medicine? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, 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 I've been taking the medicine. I like, you know, um, well, uh, I got this new girlfriend, and, and, and I don't know. This SNRI is a little bit better than the SSRI, but, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, even when I'm depressed, I, I, uh, I like, you know, what can I say? I'm a drummer in a band, man. I like to, what, nobody's a drummer in a band unless, you, you're a drummer in a band because you, you get women, right? I mean, it's just the truth I, of the matter. I have right? no idea. I wouldn't right. even know. All right, Dan. but anyway, I, I'm just saying. I've that, never that, been a drummer in a band. Uh, so. Well, it's, uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be, but one good, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's. I don't know. Well, so. I'm curious. You said things are really, really bad in the mornings. Does depression depression get worse in the day, or is it just mostly the anxiety? No, I bad? start. What, I tell start, me about this timing of things. I, well, I start feeling a little bit better in the evening. Um, yeah, I start feeling a little bit better in the evening. Um, what is now? You're. You told me before that you didn't have any issues with um, uh, with, with with alcohol, drugs, whatever. But you. You're, well, rock, you're in a rock and roll band, you know. I know. I, I've I know. read some of the biographies. So, when you're hanging out with your friends at night, do you, do you ever drink with those guys? Or the no, I don't dope? know. I, I I used to smoke dope, but it made me really paranoid. To be honest with you, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, everybody in a band drinks. So yeah, yeah, we, you know, we we play four we play four nights a week. It's it's it, it's a big deal. So yeah, yeah, no, we 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 definitely drink some. Sure, we're in a band, you know. Okay, so you play four nights a week. How many nights during a week will you drink? Uh, pretty much every night. Okay. And how much? So one, two drinks, or? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it maybe it depends, but maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. More like, I don't know, a couple six-packs, probably. Yeah. Okay. And you're anxious in the morning, and it feels like. But hey, you know. But the thing is, though, you know, in rock and roll, I mean, I'm not by. So I'm by no means the heaviest drinker. Yeah, in the past. Okay. Just, yeah. Well, just, that's uh, just saying. You know. You know, you you had the hepatitis, and we we treated that, and we yeah. were treating that successfully. But yep. if you continue, I mean, 
there's more than one thing that can harm your liver, right? So if you're drinking all this alcohol, that could like undo all the good things that have happened from the hepatitis treatment. Yeah. And actually people who have hepatitis and drink alcohol can even develop liver cancer. So, I mean, yeah, I know. We, I know. I really wonder about like, when I think about your anxiety in the morning and all that and crawling out of your skin, I actually wonder if you're, if you're dependent on alcohol and you're actually withdrawing from it in the mornings. No, I don't know. I don't think so. I, one or two drinks in the morning makes a big difference. Ah. <laughs> uh. Dan, I, I don't know how to break it to you, but this is not, uh, this is not good. Your health insurance spent a lot of money. You spent a lot of effort to get rid of the hepatitis C, and now you're drinking it. I, look, um, I don't know. Do you want? Do you want to stop? It's it's, it's going to. Wreck yeah, your I know. I it's, know. It's wrecking your mood. You had you had yeah. a five year partnership that blew up over your mood, and now you you do you, you've got this anxiety and withdrawal and stuff. And I, I do you think that um, I don't know. Do you think that the drinking's got something to do with the depression? You know, I think it does. And I, I so you had depression before. You've got depression now, but this anxiety in the morning, I think it's driven by the lack of the alcohol. And it's kind of like that guy who said the funny story, it's not my drinking that bothers me, it's when I quit drinking. Yeah. That's what's happening to you in the morning. And it, uh, if you don't stop, I'm afraid these, you know, whatever your mood thing is, if we don't stop the alcohol, that's not going to, it's not yeah. going to go well at all. Yeah. I don't know. I feel so terrible about everything, man. If, would you be willing to go into inpatient treatment? If no. Could, oh, no. No, 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 no way, no way, no, no, no. That's a no-go. That's a no-go. No, I don't okay. know. But I, I don't know. This what about outpatient stuff? If I can yeah, get you hooked up yeah, with maybe, yeah, maybe. If you a got counselor, some, like, yeah, some AA maybe. programs? Yeah, 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 maybe. Would you go? I'd try, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I got a, um, I'm, I've got a friend, and I'm going to... Um, this, you know, is a big healthcare system. And yeah, so, yeah. although I'm a local doc, I get to talk to the psychiatrist and he may have some input into maybe how much your depression versus anxiety is really what's driving this or what's going on. Um, I'd like to talk to him. I usually talk to him on Fridays at noon. Right. Um, right. So, how about you told me you're going out of town this weekend? Yeah, we got to play it. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to come back next Thursday? Yeah. Will that yeah. work? Yeah, as long as we can. I got to be in um, Jackson. By about six, so if we can, morning appointments fine. Okay, okay, Good. okay. Sure. Listen, um, try to cut down. All right, right, and um, just uh, we're gonna get you some numbers for the A stuff. Get your number for a counselor. We'll see if that will work for your insurance for the counselor, and then I'm gonna see you back next Thursday, and, and we'll talk about how things are gonna right. go. Okay. Uh, all right. All right, man. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. Look, it's it's gonna work out. Okay. All right. Work all out. Right. Who is that guy? Nancy? Nancy? What's the name of that psychiatrist in our health group? James? Janice? J A. Is this Dr. Jan's office? It's Dr. Jackson. Yeah, I'm asking for Dr. Jan. Yeah, it's. Well, we, we have an appointment. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't need to see him as a patient. It's a, um, every, every Friday at noon, we, um, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to talk. Um, 
Yeah, just, if you could tell Miss Dr. Jackson. Th- thanks. Thank you so much. Jackson? Is this Janet Jackson? No, no. No, no. No, no. Janet Jackson, that's my wife, but that's a different story. That's a... We've already had one more word of malfunction, so don't know. Uh, Dr. Oh, Jan, this, okay. is, this is Clay. I, I'm the guy that practices. I, I practice about 25 miles north, and, uh, you know, uh, they told me I could call you on Fridays at noon and talk about cases and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I don't have a – is this a good time? Did you, did you mark this out on your calendar? Did, you, did your staff even tell you that they made this Yes, yes. I, okay. was, I was waiting. As a psychiatrist, I have no patience, so absolutely. Go right for it. <laughs> I know better than that because I've tried to get in patients before. I, I, I know better than that. You've, you're very no, busy. No, but I'm looking forward to talking because I think this partnership between psychiatry and primary care is really good. Tell me, what's on your mind? Well, you know, it does help me because I, I, a lot of my patients are pretty straightforward, but I, I do have some. This week wasn't all that tough, but I did have one guy who kind of piqued my interest. And um, I, I'm afraid maybe that he, um, I, I think it's all alcoholism, really. He he had some depressive episodes. He was treated. He, to be honest with you, I don't know how bad the depression was. And uh, he had taken an SSRI. He stopped taking it because of sexual dysfunction because he's young. He's 45 years old. Uh, he's in a rock band. And uh, he, initially, he denied any alcohol use. But um, he was very anxious in the morning. And so I, I actually noticed his AST was up. Um, and uh, and uh, he had no cirrhosis on ultrasound. And and so I queried him more about the alcohol, and he's really anxious every morning, and I think he's actually going through withdrawal. So I think most of his stuff is kind of uh, seems to be driven by the alcohol, but I just wonder how many of his mood symptoms might actually be due to depression. So it's kind of one of those old sort of dual diagnosis things, you know, substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder versus depression and, and how much is in there. So um, I, did some, um, I did some looking um, in... in uh, I was I was doing a talk for our, our residents here at the family practice residency on uh, substance use disorders that I sent you. Did you get those by email? I was just opening that up. Yeah. Go okay. right ahead. I'm looking cool. at it right now. Cool. Well, um, this the substance use disorder, um, you know, I wasn't surprised that people with alcohol with 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 MDD had more alcohol use disorder. And it, it, it's twice a general population. I think, you know, if you're depressed, that makes sense to me. Um, and then it says here that uh, if folks have substance use disorder, a lot of them have um, comorbid mood disorder. I, I actually thought it would probably be higher than 20% because most people have, I mean, 12.5% you know, of, our, of our patients have mood disorder. So I, th- I thought it might be higher than that. But this, this study down here on opioid use disorder where it says uh, BUP plus um, an SSRI, escitalopram, didn't increase the uh, ability of patients to, to abstain from opioids. Uh, compared to, to bup alone. And so does that indicate that really antidepressant treatment is non-efficacious or we shouldn't worry about it and just go for the substance alone? Or should we treat both at the same time? Or, you know, basically, if I've only got so much clinical capital with my patient, where do I start? You know, that's a great question. It depends on the patient, but what we have learned over time is if you've got two problems, well, you're in primary care, if you've got diabetes and hypertension, which one do you treat? Uh, I try to treat both. Exactly. I think you just answered my question. (laughs) I think I did, yeah. 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 But I agree with you. We used to think that just treating one automatically dissipates the other, but it's not an automatic. And, you know, I just remember, maybe they didn't teach this, maybe I just made it up, but people used to, I used to get the impression, I'll just say it the way, I used to get the impression that you got to fix the substance use disorder first 
before you can ever diagnose the mental health disorder in terms of of a biologic mood disorder. And is that true, or can you diagnose them concurrently? You can. They have, sure, you're completely right. One can confuse the scenario when both are present, but they do have distinct symptoms and diagnostic criteria. Look, if it doesn't fit, you can't acquit. So if you've got two separate (laughs) disorders, it is so much better to call it two different things because it's right for the patient to do so. So go ahead. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Okay. And then treatment resistance, um, you know, more likely that they're going to have substance use disorder. This kind of said two things to me, you know, maybe, maybe they're just getting more desperate and they're self-medicating, you know, to, to use stimulants if they're, if they're down or, you know, conversely, if they're having other mood disorder problems, they're, they're trying to sort of numb the pain, et cetera. And, you know, man, we're in the middle of the, the opioid epidemic here, so you know how that goes for us. I know. And, um, and then treatment resistance, maybe they just have tougher disease or even bipolar something, you know, if, if they're treatment resistant. Do you find in your practice that those who have this comorbid mood disorder and substance use disorder, that it's tougher to treat their, their depression? Dr. Jackson, you're right. Uh, you know, they say one plus one equals two, but in psychiatry, very often one plus one equals three. Yeah. And you're right. Treatment resistance increases every time you collect a comorbidity. Okay. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I thought. Um, it, I guess it makes me feel better that not everybody is totally well. Maybe I'm not uh, a bad doctor. I just, it just does make it more challenging, obviously. Um, in terms of treating the, the, the comorbid disorder, um, this, the author of, of, of this talk said that kind of the golden rule is I need to address uh, both. Um, but if it seems to be driven by one, kind of go for that one first. I mean, it sounds like common sense. Do you have any... Uh, pearls there to give me regarding that? Well, you might want to look at when it started. So, for example, if somebody's substance abuse started when they were 25, but they're telling you I had depression even less so, maybe mild or moderate when I was 20, do you see how the longitudinal trajectory allows you not to be confused by what just happened? In other words, don't just slice the story cross-sectionally do that, but also look at the evolution of the conditions in the patient's life. Do that and you get good answers. As we're kind of doing this sort of uh, M&M or morbidity, mortality, whatever, it's just a post-mortem on my treatment here. It does occur to me that although this episode, I really got hung up on the anxiety. To be honest with you, I was kind of mad at the guy because he, I feel like he lied to me about his alcoholism because I asked him on, you know, we have it on the intake form and I reviewed it with him. And he denied using the alcohol. And then I saw the AST and I found it. And I was mad at myself for missing alcoholism. And, and uh, he told me he was anxious in the morning. I, I kind of laid it all on that. And I just I put him, I, I offered him inpatient treatment. He, he declined. And I, I got him hooked up with a therapist. And I, I got him some, a, some numbers for AA. But I, I think I kind of may have overreacted. Because in the past, um, even before he started his heavy drinking, he had two episodes of depression, one at age 19 and one at age 25. Hmm. And uh, that, that kind of makes me wonder. I mean, for this guy, just assuming that, assuming, let's just assume he has major depressive disorder, because um, at this point I don't have any evidence that he's got bipolarity, although he may have some risk factors. Um, I saw this study, I saw this study on an SSRI plus Naltrex um, for somebody with alcohol use disorder. And it, if I'm interpreting this right, it looks like that combination was better than either one alone. 
So if he were willing to take something to, to help him with alcohol uh, cravings, like Naltrex, might we be better off adding sertraline to that? Do you, do you think that's reasonable for this guy? Yeah, you did a good job. You have just discovered one of the great iconic studies in the field, one of the very few wonderful studies that showed that one plus one equals three in the other direction as well. For treatment, well. yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So no, there's no doubt at all if you encounter two DSM conditions, you want to challenge both of them because helping one increases the chances of helping the other. And as we are seeing, it's quite obvious that adding sertraline to naltraxone, the outcomes are better both ways, both with alcohol and with mood. Okay, okay. Well, listen, I, I know it's, you've got patients at one o'clock and the time has flown by here. I really appreciate you reviewing this, the, the, the talk that we put together um, for the residents. And I, you know, teach one, do one, you learn when you teach. Actually, I, it's made me think about this case differently. And I think I probably better go back and, and talk to this guy uh, about, uh, about maybe an SSRI plus naltrexone, if he's willing to do that. I think that might, that might be helpful for him. Um, but uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Hopefully everything goes cool in the clinic and uh, everything's great. Um, but I, I really appreciate you helping with the cases. I, I don't know what they're paying you to do this, but I hope it's a kajillion dollars because it's really, it's worth its weight in gold to me. I really appreciate it. Hey, just ask your wife, Miss Jackson, to come visit me. That would be payment <laughs> enough. Thank you. So um, Dan had some improvement. It's a happy ending. We, uh, based on the consultation with Rakesh, um, I switched him from his SNRI actually to sertraline and, uh, and, and naltrexone. We, we talked about it. Um, he was willing to go back on the, um, uh, the SSRI. Even it, it, He had never tried sertraline before. Um, he had been on Fluox that caused the um, sexual dysfunction. So even though it was the same class, he was willing to go back because of the additional benefit of perhaps reducing cravings and helping him. Because uh, after he saw the therapist, he had a little bit of better insight. When he went to AA, he felt like he needed to... Uh, to, to do okay. He did well initially. His mood uh, improved. He uh, reduced his binge drinking. He went from like two six packs uh, to less times of doing that and got down to one or two drinks once or one or two times a, a week. Um, he got a new girlfriend. As he said, uh, the drummers always get the girls. Um, and that helped him acknowledge his problematic drinking. Um, she was a churchgoer and she went to, uh, they went to church together. He had a religious experience, um, and as, on the strength of that, uh, determined to just go totally abstinent uh, from the alcohol, which his AA partner had been recommending anyway, his sponsor. So um, he went to inpatient detox. He began attending AA like in, in seriousness and trying to get to a pins uh, and, and, and get to, to, to weeks or months of sobriety. Um, he, he did okay, um, but unfortunately, uh, from my perspective anyway, <laughs> He, he, he stopped his antidepressant because he said he wanted to white-knuckle this. He, because of his commitment to AA, he wanted to do this the psychological and the spiritual way and not do this um, the pharmacologic way. Um, pressure symptoms went away, and he had a sustained viral response to the HCV uh, treatment, and, and that's, that's how, uh, that's how that, that happened. Dr. Jan's office. Yeah, Dr. Jan? Oh, he's on the line. Okay. Yeah, yeah thanks. Hey, hey, hey Rakesh, up. how you doing? Yeah. Hey, good. How yeah. are you, Clay? So, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Uh, 
It's been uh, it's 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 been a couple of weeks since we talked. Uh, did did you have a good vacation? Things go things go all right. It was good. Super. Yeah. What's super. on your mind? Well, um, uh, things are going pretty well here. We uh, we implemented that PHQ nine thing that you told me about in the clinic in terms of screens. Um, we started doing uh, that um, the anxiety scale too, the the GAD thing. The GAD seven. Uh, uh, yep, good for yep. you. We I'm proud that. of you. Um, I'm not sure I know how to interpret all the results, but we're working on it. Okay. <laughs> and um, we uh, we have not started screening for bipolar yet, but that's next. Uh, we we want to do that. So that's going well. Most of the patients have been doing okay. I haven't had a lot of problems. That, do you remember that guy, Dan, we talked about, the, the drummer? Yeah, I know you were very worried about him. I think you were thinking about naltrexone and antidepressant. Yeah, yeah we did. We did. And, you know, it maybe it worked too well, um, if there's such a thing. He He did okay. He got a new girlfriend. He started... Uh, he's maintaining function. He, he did better. He actually had a religious experience. Things went okay. He stopped drinking. Um, he, he went to inpatient, totally detox, went abstinent. Um, but he, 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 quit his, he quit his medication. Um, and I was kind of a little bit concerned about that because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried about relapsing him from a depression standpoint and a, and a substance uh, use uh, standpoint. So, I, you know, um, this week I... I have one more um, series that, that, that um, I had promised to send you, and this was from the national conference that I went to last month. And they had some interesting stuff on the, on the substance use crisis. And uh, this graph on the left really uh, kind of bothered me. Did you get the slide set? Yeah, you, you really are sending me some very good information. Well, what did you get? Tell me what you got. This is this. scary information to me, Rakesh. On the left, you know, the Green Mountain is the opioids. You've been hearing about opioid uh, crisis, as I have. Yeah. The Green Mountain is the opioids, but look at when it peaked. It was 2010, but the blue line is overall opioid deaths. Hmm. And after we stopped prescribing so many opioids, a lot more people started dying from opioids, hmm. which is counterintuitive, and it shows it's actually driven by the yellow line, which is heroin, and the gray line, which is actually illicit fentanyl. Hmm. And so um, this guy, he... He said he used to, quote, smoke dope in the past. He's not showing a predilection for opioid use disorder, but I'm worried about polysubstance disorder, you know, that he, he might relapse. And then, you know, the other line there, that's meth- methamphetamine overdose. Uh, and, and, and what you see is things have gone exponential. Rather than arithmetic growth in these deaths, in multiple substances we're seeing things. And then you told me, you told me that I have got to cut down on benzodiazepine prescriptions, that they're really very few indications for long-term use and i'm i'm trying to listen very hard but i'm telling you this graph really bothered me because um u.s deaths from benzos we don't hear anything about that on cnn or fox news or whatever but man even though the lay press hasn't hit it like they have the opioids people are dying from benzos everywhere and um i i I ran into the medical examiner at uh, uh, the medical society meeting in our county the other day and he told me that most of the deaths they're seeing are polysubstance overdose uh, they've got a lot of different stuff in their system. And uh, in our state, about 33% have benzos in their uh, toxicology report, as well as opioids. And, um, you know, so it, this study was um, national drug overdose deaths, and it showed that, that this, the numbers are skyrocketing, you see. And as prescription opioids are kind of fading, the illicits have shown exponential growth, and polysubstance, including uh, uh, alcohol, predominate. So... You know, you tell me, I, I, I'm, I'm, I even thought about asking him if he, you know, he didn't take the flu ox because of sexual dysfunction. 
He didn't take the, um, the sertraline plus the, the naltrexone because he went to revivalist meeting uh, and his new girlfriend and, you know, he wanted to white knuckle it. I even thought about what about like an injectable uh, for him? You know, I mean, uh, injectable naltrexone because this is kind of funny. They show this is the study, but I mean, it looks like people actually do better with the medicine if they open it up and actually take it, uh, which I think this was kind of tongue in cheek. And, and they, 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 they reach for it and they do it because of us. But I'm apparently I'm not doing well with this guy. I mean, I I kind of feel like when I walk in, it's like this, like we're facing each other and the pills are between us and we both got our gloves on um, that that it's that he resists taking the medicine. So have you seen any any luck with like the injectables uh, for naltrexone versus oral? Um, I, I know you don't routinely do substance uh, uh, use disorder in, in your practice, but any of your colleagues talk to you about that? It, it, how can I help this guy in terms of adherence is really what I'm asking. That's a good one. If non-adherence was a disease, it will be the number one disorder I take care of on a daily basis. So don't be too hard on yourself. If you do encounter such a problem, look for solutions. And I agree with you, injectable naltrexone in someone who's forgetful or erratic about travel, for example, I think it's a very good idea. What, what did you say? If, if non-adherence were a disease, it would be the number one mental illness you treat? Is yeah. That, yeah. I'm going to write that down, Rakesh. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's actually what they showed us in the, in the, in the conference, uh, that, that the psychiatric diagnoses across the board, the rates of non-adherence are pretty bad. This guy had a lot of anxiety and he had depression. So, I mean, those are two conditions that are high, highly um, likely to, to have non-adherence. They said, too, that the further you go with an antidepressant, the more likely the patient is to quit it. This is a study, but does this, does this resonate in your practice? Like, this says by day 90, half the people stop the stuff. And listen, it's on my med list, so I was assuming they were taking it. Am I foolish there? I, I guess I gotta ask more questions. No, no, you're right. It is so much better to assume there'll be challenges and take care of it proactively. It's like a Walmart 50% discount. It happens so commonly. I'll talk about it at the very first visit and I'll say, the better you get, weirdly, your chances of being adherent to medications drop. Can we talk about it now and fix the problem as best as we can now so that it doesn't happen? So don't stop without calling. They said this stuff on the right, that if you like, if you tell them to take it every day, I mean, I thought if I wrote the prescription and the pharmacist had it on the bottle, they would, I, know. I mean, I, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I, really, I'm not trying to be smart. I just thought, you know, they paid money for it. Their insurance did. They take it. But yeah. it says I got to look at them and say, take this medicine every day. And those words have to come out of my mouth. And that predicted improved adherence. And they said, I got, you know, I need to tell them that it's, it's not like an antibiotic. You won't get me better tomorrow, most likely. Um, and seriously, if they get better, I thought everybody would keep taking it if they got better, that they'd stop it if they had a side effect. But you're saying that with your patients, like once they start feeling better, they stop the medicine? It often happens. That's why you can get dangers from both things. Doesn't work, adherence drops. Works, adherence drops. So the thing to do is to caution and warn them and come up with systems as soon as possible so that you can maintain maximum adherence. This, this one scared me. Um, thank God it's a psychiatry study, not a family practice study. 
but um, it, shall, it talks about non-adherence. And it, it said that of patients with bipolar disorder, they're being seen by specialists, but that, that if you define non-adherence as missing one dose in a week and a half, that one-third of the parents were non-adherent, but only 6% were rated as non-adherent. So there was a kind of a, a five-and-a-half-to-one mismatch between people who are actually non-adherent and then specialists recognize it. It scared me. As, this is not to bag on your specialty because, my gosh, if you miss it, I'm probably missing a lot of non-adherence too. So, I mean, what are some tips uh, that, that I could do to – because I clearly failed with Dan. He quit his meds. No, I think you're being too hard on yourself. Uh, you, you really are. Non-adherence is common in all practices. And, you know, Clay, the worst unknown is the unknown unknowns. Got when it. you don't know what you don't know is the scariest. That's why the known is the following. Everybody is at risk for non-adherence. So everybody, we should be discussing the risk will increase with the passage of time. Mr. Smith, Ms. Jones, what shall we do? What do we need to talk about to make sure that your adherence stays as close to 100% as possible? Can, can I ask you about this, though? Like, is I kind of think about this maybe as a missed opportunity, not just qualitatively, but like quantitatively. Like it, you know, if somebody's got sinusitis and I give them 14 days of antibiotics and they don't, like they take seven, they start and they feel better and they quit it. The problem is they can get a resistant bacteria. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a similar phenomenon in psychiatry where if people kind of they're not adherent to meds or we fail multiple treatments because they don't take it long enough or they don't get to remission it do you true. think there's a possibility the brain changes over time I, yes. I mean i know there may not be study after study but what's your feel on that there sadly are study after studies clay so on off on off on off actually creates resistance both with antidepressants and interestingly with lithium so on, off, on, off is one of the better ways to create a disease that now becomes resistant. The example you used, antibiotics, is actually a pretty good example even with mental health. That's why chronic treatment with high adherence brings the highest chance of success both in symptom control and neurobiological protection of the brain. Well, I, I'm motivated, but i got to confess this slide is me, man. I have a lot of... It takes time and effort to talk about the information. One of the strategies I think we're going to have to do is maybe a QI project in our office and maybe empower the nurses to talk about adherence more um, and to make that part of the intake and just assume that people are missing doses and ask them about it and then um, get, you know, just, just see um, if, if, we can, if we can make a difference. Because, um, you know, I need to do my part to tell the patients what's going on and to, you know, this is something I've never... I just never thought about telling people that an SSRI was not addictive. But if patients think it's addictive, they, they won't take it. And here I am in the buckle of the Bible belt practicing. I think it's probably, I need to make sure that I let people, let people know that. So, um, well, anyway, he's doing well all right now, but no, through no fault of mine, I guess. He's not taking meds that I gave him, but, um, you know, he knows when to call back. And so... Um, Anyway, I, I just want to share that with you about what I learned about adherence and ask if you had any pearls, and I, I appreciate it. If, let's see, if not adherence were a disease, it would be the most common mental illness that I treat. At, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to teach the residents that, Rakesh. Listen, uh, glad you had a good vacation, and I, I'll, 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 talk to you, um, I'll talk to you later. That sounds good. All See right. ya. Bye-bye.
So Dan did pretty well with his drug hiatus. Um, but 15 months later, um, he had a rapid onset of a new depressive episode. This is uh, depressive episode five in his life now um, at age 47. So he returned to my office. Um, his abstinence was from ETOH was confirmed. And this time, I actually did a urine drug screen, and I looked for alcohol metabolites in him. And I told him I was going to do that, and he gave informed consent. But I said, you know, I asked you about this before, and we went round and round, and then I found out from your girlfriend and this and that. And so he, he said, yeah, fine, you do your drug screen. It's going to be clean. It's fine. Uh, and he did that. And uh, we talked about it again. He, he, he agreed to restart an SSRI because he's depressed. He said, I really feel like I can whiten up the depression. But after a week, he stopped it. Uh, because again, it was making him feel worse, uh, and it was impairing his sexual activity. And so, um, after this little 15 month hiatus, things changed a little bit. And I think you notice that, um, on, on Dan's next visit. Oh, hey man. Hey, how you doing, man? Hey, um, we went to an oh. electronic health record. I hope this is not oh, too God. much of an interference. Oh, God, not you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I got to join the 21st century, man. <laughs> you know, that pisses me off. Well, whatever, whatever, whatever. Hey, I'm sorry. You want me to take it out? No, That's... no, no. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I, no. I'm sorry, man. I just, God, I've been, I've been biting everybody's head off, man. I, I, uh... I heard from my receptionist. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I just, uh. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you can be so pissed off and down at the same time. It's a strange thing, man. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, this is the worst it's ever been. I, I just, shit, oh, you know. Um, this is worse than your other depressions were. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you told me your urine drug screen was going to be clean, and it was. You, I know, you're, you're I know. not drinking, so. I know. Well, I got a real problem, man. I you know, uh, like so, some of the times before it just like happened, I don't know, maybe it was a drink, I don't know, maybe it was just the drinking, um, you know, you're a drummer, you're a drummer in a band because you want to get laid, to be honest with you, right? I mean, that's just... Again, I can't yeah. relate, but I, I'm here. Well, you. all right, so, 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 I don't know. I, I, uh, I started fooling around with my girlfriend. Um, oh. Yeah, 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 and she... I screwed up. I was texting these two other chicks that I'd met at a, at a thing in Memphis, and I accidentally texted her instead, so she caught the text. Huh. Yeah. No, That's it was, pretty unfortunate, Dan. Well, yeah, you know, it was really bad. I, I don't know. So then then I went out and I bought her this, like, $2,000, $3,000 ring, man. And, and I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, I bought this ring. I, 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 I got, like, $400 left in my account now, right? So... Yeah, and I said, I've just been buying shit. I, I don't know. It, it's just, I, I, it's how are, weird. How are you sleeping? Oh, no, man, I'm not sleeping. I'm tired, but man, you know, I get in bed and go, like that. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, man. You know. I don't have a metronome, but that's uh, yeah. not 4-4. Yeah, no, four. no, no, it's, it's, it's just, oh, God. And I just, I feel so bad. I cheated. Oh, man, I cheated on my, I like this girlfriend, man. I, I don't well, know. Well, I, I hope you guys can work things out. I, I I'm, uh, I'm really, con- I'm really concerned about. Um, well, I thought it was, you know, you, man, you had me convinced it was the drinking. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, well, uh, man, I, I have, I mean, I've been fooling around doing some of that stuff, but I, no drugs, no alcohol, still going to church. That's a little bit difficult. So, <sighs> yeah, but you, but, you know, before, yeah, you had this mood thing, you were down. 
But then we found out about the alcoholism. You told yep. me about that. Yep. But now you stopped the alcohol, yep. and this has come back. Yep. Yeah. Worse. Worse. I, I, this is the. I don't know. I think it's because I cheated on my girlfriend. You know. It, I'm sorry. Wait. But you're, wait, you're, wait. 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 What? What'd you say? I'm sorry. And I. This other thing, man. My mind is just like. Whoop. Well, you're down, but you're like you're irritable. Yeah. You've Damn, got I am some rapid thoughts like that. Yeah. You've got. You're oh, not sleeping just, very God, well. And I just feel. I feel so, ugh, you know, it's, 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 but then I start getting sad, too. That's the damnedest thing, man. I go to church, I start crying like a baby. I've gone up to kind of renew being saved like six times in the last. That's a record. Yeah, it's a record. <laughs> I, um, Dan, I, um. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned because. We've tried you on antidepressants like a bunch of different times. It hasn't worked. Yeah, and it and screws I'm, up. There's no point in being a drummer if you're on an antidepressant, man. It's just... I'm, my, my concern is that you may not have an ordinary depression. And I know that we went after the alcohol, but we can wipe that out now because you don't no, have... You're not drinking. But I'm concerned maybe that this is not a normal depression. And uh, do you remember my buddy that we talked about that, that I talked to? I, I want to talk to him no. about your case. No, you got a buddy that you're... This was like a couple baseball of, buddy or no? A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago is when you were in, uh, you know, there's a psychiatrist in our system that I talk to. He's, he's in the, the, the integrated system. Oh, okay. And um, I talked to him about some of my cases. It's yeah. part of your, you know, it's when you visit me, I get a chance to talk to him about okay. my tougher cases. And I got to be honest with you, man. You're looking like one of my tougher cases. I don't say that to, to, to make you mm. feel bad. I say it because... I just want you to know. No, I, I know. It's I want to. I want to invest in you, man. I want to, you to get better. I, to be honest, I like you. I think you're a nice guy, and I want you to get better. I think you're trying, and I'm really worried right now that things are really unstable. I mean, risky yeah. behaviors as far as sexuality. I mean, I can't believe as as I spent the money on that damn ring. God, finances that, that, uh, and man, stuff. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, just it's been worse. It's been worse since all this stuff started with feeling like crap too, man. It's just. I thought it'd make me feel better. I thought it'd help me get her back. The, the, I'm sorry, what were you saying? What I want to do is, is Dan, I, I want to talk to my consultant friend. And I, I, you think, you promised me you're going to be safe. You're not, you don't yeah, have any problems. Yeah, that, you're, yeah. you're not worried about hurting yeah, yourself or anything. Yeah. I've called you before, man. You know that, you know, if I have to, I'll call you in the middle of the night. Do you have a trip, this, do you have a trip this weekend? Tell me you're staying at home. No, I'm staying home. I'm okay. going to try to patch it up with, you know. I think that's wise. It actually works out well for me. Could you come in Friday afternoon? Because yeah. that's two days from now. I can talk to him, get some things smoothed out, yep. and see what our treatment is. Early, though, because uh, I've got to go to Little Rock. We got, it's a late gig, though. So, but yeah. So you're going out of town or not? No. Oh, this weekend. Oh, I thought you meant the week. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Can you come Friday afternoon? This Friday? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I can go home this Friday. Yeah. If you have any problems, okay. you can call 911, you can call me. I want okay. you to be sure that, you know, I want you to feel supported. It's, I would go ahead and offer you some medication now, but the problem is... Uh, talk to your buddy. I mean, honestly, I, I, I like want, you as a doc, but... I don't want to misfire. Yeah, right, let's not miss, yeah. Because this is serious, and I want to make sure that we get the right treatment. Good, okay, okay fine. Listen, I'll, I'm going to see you in two days. All right, good, man, thank you. Call me if anything happens between now and then. I will, I will, man. Rakesh.
Hello. Hey, man, you're on speed dial now. Yeah, I know. We are close friends, golf buddies, <laughs> of course, between us. Uh, do you remember Dan from a couple of years ago? Yeah. The drummer. I, you, you worried about him before. The drummer. Yes. He was he's doing a, really well, right? I, well, he's the one. I, I thought everything was with the alcohol, and then we put him on the sertraline with the naltrexone. He uh, actually did too well. I, we talked about taking meds because he stopped all his meds. He's done well for 15 months, but he dropped a new depression episode. And when I say dropped, he didn't slide into it. It happened, like, really quickly. But... He's really confusing me. And honestly, Rakesh, I'm, I'm worried he's got like some kind of bipolar type thing or something because he's agitated, he's irritable. He, he yelled at my receptionist. He'd never done anything like that. He, um, he spent a bunch of money. He was fooling around, at least electronically, with two different women, and he really likes his current girlfriend. Um, and he is not drinking, and I, I know... You think I'm not Sherlock Holmes of finding drinking, but he actually agreed to a urine drug screen and it was negative. I know he's not drinking and uh, he looks like a mess. He, he gave me a no harm plan the other day and uh, he, I saw him two days ago. He's coming in the office actually this afternoon and I, I need you to tell me, like, I, I sent over his notes. I think you can see what I, what I saw on, yeah. on, on, mm-hmm. uh, 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 on Wednesday. You know, his, his PHQ-9 was terrible, his, you know, 19. Um, on item nine, the suicidality, he had a two that he thinks about it, but he told me he had no plan. He said, I really don't want to kill myself. I just want to feel better. Um, it, his anxiety was high. It was like 16 or whatever. And um, I just, he's in bad shape. I'm confused. And I'm worried that this is not normal. But this is his fifth episode of depression. He's failed at least three, uh, at least three trials of antidepressants. One SNRI, two SSRIs. Um, no, four, four trials of antidepressants, three times with SSRI, one with an SNRI. And I'm, I mean, am I missing bipolar here? Is it some kind of weird depression or, you know, walk me through something. Tell, you know, tell, tell me, tell me what's going on. I, I know you sent me those slides last week on the talk you were doing in, in uh, San Diego. What just, right. does that have anything to do with this or just help me out? I, I'm, I'm really, uh, you're my lifeline, man. I, I need to, I need to get this guy better. But let's work on it together, okay? I agree with you that this doesn't fit the traditional, typical story, if you will, of major depression. But there's no reason to call everything bipolar. You know, the pendulum has swung. I, I know. Far. We got one of those guys in town. This is not me calling everything bipolar. I'm just worried about it. And I hear you. I hear you. There has been a real national trend towards nothing is bipolar, everything is bipolar. There actually is more to it. There actually can be depression with symptoms that stand right in the middle of major depression. And bipolar. Let me let me offer you some information so that you can think it out. And this, this is, is a, this is the talk. I'm I'm on. My yeah. slide says what mixed depression is that? Is that the one? What mixed depression looks like? Indeed. Okay. I, I am glad you are looking at it with me. So, uh, DSM five dropped in psychiatry like a bomb in May of 2013, and it was actually a good bomb, if there's such a thing, because no longer do I have to call people either major depression or bipolar. There is a middle ground, okay. and that middle ground is called major depression. So you don't elevate yourself to the bipolar world. You can stay in the major depression world, but you can act, add a mixed specifier. 
Okay. And from what you've written in your notes about the patient, I'm looking at the notes you wrote. You talk about a lot of irritability. You talk about money spending, sexual indiscretions, and anxiety. In See, fact, it's like four features. Four he features. does. If you look at this, it's actually a lot. But it's not necessary we automatically call him bipolar. That's not a necessity. That is an error we need to make. I do recognize what you just told me. This is a Gordian knot. It's a difficult one. But just because it's difficult, I don't think we need to just strike at it as if with a sword and call everything bipolar. Let's see if we can't unravel it first. So let me offer you a little bit of information. Just follow that slide deck along with me, and I'll give you both a historical as well as a contemporary way to re-look at major depression. Okay. Okay? I think you'll like it. So Emil Kreplin, would you do me a favor and look at the reference year first? That's uh, 1921. Yeah, you're digging out some late studies, man. I, I am. I am. I'm digging out some late studies in the evolution of bipolar disorder. So even almost 100 years ago, it was actually well known that the majority, particularly in relatively young individuals, the majority of the time is not spent manic or depressed. It's actually spent in that limbo phase. But mm. you have neither, yet you have both. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what I say. I don't, I don't see a lot of guys like Dan who come in this irritable and agitated and stuff like that. But you do. Uh, but you do. The thing is they're not reporting to you. Actually, oh. one out of five of our patients we just call major depression can have elements. So look at this. This okay. is actually an incredibly useful way to look at it. Okay. So if you look at number one. This is the classic bipolar type one, where you have big manic episodes, big depressive episodes. Off the scale, yeah. Off the scale, right. You're not going to see this very much. Look at the second one, number two. This is the classic bipolar two. Yeah. The manic doesn't go up, but the depression goes down. Now look at number three. This is cyclothymia, where you don't reach any of the poles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, number four is the one that needs to grab your attention, which is full-on mania, full-on depression, at exactly the same time. This was DSM-4. Okay. DSM-5 has changed things massively. They're now allowing for mixed episodes to occur with just a major depressive episode. Let me tell you more, because this is only about five-year-old information, but perhaps you want to ask yourself this. When you see patients like Dan, who don't fit, why aren't you fitting? Is the treatment incorrect or is my formulation incorrect? Yeah, I tried to put him in a depression box. He didn't fit. I tried to put him in a substance use, like a, an alcohol use disorder. He didn't fit. And so now, like he's clearly he's off, he's off all the stuff that was affecting his brain. And we just have his brain. But his brain is not, it is not a plain old MDD brain. I, Rakesh, I, I'm not the smartest doc out here, but I, I've been treating depression for 20 years regular old vanilla major depressive disorder. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember when, when Fluox came out, but I, I do remember, you know, I, I remember the 90s and I was treating him in the 90s. And this guy doesn't fit what, what I've seen. He, he's just unusual. You got it. And we don't need to shove him in another box that he doesn't belong to, which is bipolar disorder. You haven't as I'm looking at your notes, there aren't enough symptoms to call him bipolar disorder. So what we've done traditionally is one of two mistakes. Call it bipolar when it, does, it doesn't fit, which is a mistake. 
Or the biggest worry I have got is we will end up calling them major depression with agitation and anxiety, give them something like Xanax and SSRI and write them off. We don't need to do that anymore, Clay. What we can do, watch this with me, is to appreciate the following. There is such a thing as a big M and big D. This is my way of describing it. This is the old version. Okay. The old version of a mixed episode. But I would encourage you to look at the bottom right end. This is the gift both from Kreplin and from DSM-5, which is three. This is really important, Clay. You remember this one. This is worth remembering. You have to have three symptoms from the manic world along with full-spectrum depression, which is exactly how you've described in your notes yeah. our poor patient. And here, you do not need to call him bipolar. You're welcome to just say major depressive episode with a mixed specifier. And he's, he's not manic because he doesn't have five symptoms for two weeks? Is that right. the deal? Right. Four oh. out of... Correct. Correct. So let's not force him into it. That's not appropriate. So look at these curves one more time. What did we miss? And I think what we missed is the following. We were trying to shove him into a box that doesn't fit him. So let's create a new box for him. And that box is going to be the following. We will call it MDD. We're not going to upgrade his diagnosis. It's not necessary. We're going to appreciate both manic and depressive symptoms like to intrude on each other. It's the third circle from the left. That is where a lot of patients who have failed three SSRIs fall into. And this is my encouragement to you, Clay. If you see someone with three divorces, three traffic tickets, or three failures on antidepressants, three strikes, you're out from the box of MDD. I'm not saying those are diagnostic, but they dramatically raise the red flag of, oops, did I miss mixed features are, because the treatment is different. Are some of those treatments just depression? Because I went to a, I went to a talk in town a couple of years ago, and you know, based on what I learned at that talk, I would have thought this guy was treatment-resistant depression, well, just TRD or, or MDD. Are some of those folks that we've called TRD, do they actually have this MDD with mixed features, and that's why they don't respond to regular old antidepressants? You're right. You're right. So if you have some manic symptoms, three, guess what? Okay. Use this analogy, even though we can't see each other, use this analogy. You've got a clear glass of water. The color is, well, clear. Yeah. How about in that large glass of water, I drop three drops of black ink? Only three drops. Not no more. Stir it up. What's the color now? Black. Exactly. And that's the trouble with manic symptoms. They're not very many. They're just, quote, unquote, three. But those three have the power to overwhelm the depressive symptoms and their response to antidepressants is massively changed as I'm about to show you. This may be the way the modern day mental health professional, and you're one of us, right? Primary I'm trying to be, us. I'm learning. You, look, we all are. Okay. Don't be too hard on yourself. This is an evolving field. If you look at DSM-4, very tight but small categories do you see the white zones between the green box, the yellow box, and the red box? Yeah. We threw these patients out. Okay. We just called them something. Most likely, they got benzos, and they were discarded. But look at DSM-5. We now have a spectrum approach. And what I'm encouraging you to do is look to the 
second thing from the right, which is depressed mood or major depression with mixed features. Your patient is classic for that. And I would say this, out to the world out there of clinicians, this is about 20, 25% of your patients as well. And they're not going to respond very well to antidepressants. Honestly, Rakesh, five years ago, if this guy had come in, I would just given him some Xanax. I know. I, I, I'm just telling you the way it is because I'm busy. I got 15 minutes. I didn't understand what's going on. The guy's agitated here, you know, and I, I know. they seem I'm to complain less, you. you know, but I, I, I'm seeing that, you know, unfortunately, four years on, I'm having a heck of a time getting some of those people off Xanax that we started them on. Exactly. So the manic symptoms in DSM are very well quantified. There's only three symptoms you may not use. Okay. Three symptoms you may not use in order to decide if they have a mixed specifier. And those three are... Will you do me a favor and remember this acronym, I-D-I? Okay. Okay. I stands for irritability. Yeah. D stands for distractibility. I stands for insomnia. If they have those three, do not count them, even though they may be the most problematic. The reason we don't count them, because those symptoms belong both to mania and depression. And depression. So yeah. which ones do yeah. I count? Insomnia, what? Yeah. yeah. You already told me your patient had elevated and expansive mood. He was more talkative. Yep. You already told me that he was involved in buying stuff, yep. excess sexual activity, flight of ideas, racing thoughts. He also had decreased need for sleep. That poor man has five. Okay. We cannot just call him major depression. And the truth of the matter is look to the right, if you will, recurrent depression which is what your patient has. The poor guy repeat episodes. Do you notice how often these non-IDI, do you, by the way, remember what IDI stood for? Uh, irritability, um, uh, uh, insomnia. Yes, and the D? D was, um, man. Um, Distractibility. Well, <laughs> I was distractible. Okay. No Sorry. worries, no worries. Hey. This is all new. Again, be kind to yourself as you are kind Irritability, of- insomnia, two eyes, irritability, insomnia, distractibility. Okay, yeah, I got, IDI. I got That's been yeah, an acronym right, I right. have. Very good. IDI, say do you There we go. See? Miss Jackson has impacted you. Okay. But the more recurrent the depression is, the more you want to go out of your way to look for non-IDI manic symptoms. Now, I want to show you why this is a tragedy for us to miss it almost a Shakespearean tragedy in four acts, you must look at this. This is what's going to change your and my practice. I particularly want you to look at the yellow bar. If a patient has depression, followed by severe anxiety, not only do, have, do they have high risk of having a mixed episode, major depression mixed episode, you don't have to call it bipolar, but the numbers needed to treat, if all you give them is an antidepressant, is an astonishingly frightening 22. So i got to treat 22 patients to get one better. Yeah. If I treat them with antidepressants alone and they've got mixed uh, depression that you've been talking yeah. about that Dan's got, and they've got severe anxiety, which he has. Yeah. So, let's, so let's, you're saying basically, I mean, we're hosed. We, we've got to try a different tactics. You got it. it. Or I would suggest the following. We got to relearn the art of diagnosis. Okay. And let the, di- let the dog wag the tail. Let's not let the tail wag the dog. The spectrum is large. I think I was foolish in my younger years where I thought things existed in beautiful, lovely categories. They don't. They don't. It's spectrum. 
And I'm okay with that because having a spectrum approach helps us. So here's a deep learning point for all of us, primary care and psychiatry. The spectrum of mood disorders is the law of the land. It's much larger, much wider, and more damaging than originally thought. And there are characteristics. There are patients who have TRD, absolutely. But to have TRD, you must have TRD. You can't have symptoms coming to you from the non-IDI world of mania. Okay, one, I'll buy. Two, I'll buy. Three, I cannot buy. I'm not allowed to buy. So if you, yeah, if you, if you've got TRD, then you got to have the regular old D. You got to have regular old depression, right? It's got to be unipolar. And it's got to have you, if you got MDD with mixed features, it's they may be treatment resistant, but it's a different type of depression. It's an MDD with mix. Okay, All right. you got it. Right. I need. I hate to hurry you, but I only have three, four minutes before I go. I know. Into you, I know you got patients. I, I apologize, but but this is so important. I want you to be aware that in terms of treatment options, I and you are extraordinarily rich. Run your eyes from the left to the right, and what you're going to see is we have a number of, we have lithium, we have mood stabilizers, we actually have a large number of atypical antipsychotics that I can use in different forms of this condition called the mood disorder spectrum. I won't talk about anyone in any great detail, but my goal is to match the right condition with the right patient. Okay. I just want to give you a quick clinical example. This is an atypical called lorazidone that has been studied in patients with major depressive disorder who also had mixed features, and it clearly helps without destabilizing. And I fully anticipate other atypicals will behave the same way. But this one's been studied, so you know we got what we got. It's okay. what we do, but it's also important to remember that other atypicals also appear to be quite safe. Are now, there any th- guidelines that I can look at or algorithms or whatever might help me? Yeah, yeah. We're very lucky. Two years ago, our own Roger McIntyre put out what at the moment are the single best treatment guidelines from the Florida Medicaid group. May I encourage he's, you? He's, he's a Canadian with the he hair, is, right? He is, but Canada is... Is the 51st state, so we're okay. He's one of us, yeah. Listen, focus on this one, because this Mm. is complex, but useful. So, if you do see a patient who clearly has major depression with non-IDI, at least three symptoms from the manic world, but no more than that, please don't call them bipolar. It's not necessary. Call them what they are. Major depression disorder. MDD with mixed features. You got it. That's what I think Dan has. I, I, I will agree with you. We have multiple options. Look at the options. In some patients, it's perfectly okay to try antidepressants. The way We've done that did. four times. So You know what? Good it, job. We're out of that. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad. But the next patient who comes in, it's not automatically a bad idea to try antidepressants, but it is perfectly okay in such a patient, as you can see, to try an atypical antipsychotic or an atypical antipsychotic with a mood stabilizer. Okay. The only thing that's not permissible is lithium. And the reason why lithium is not appropriate in MDD with mixed features is because it truly, the moment mixed comes in, lithium leaves the building. Okay. Elvis is gone. Okay. Right? So lithium as an agent here is about the only thing, otherwise you can do monotherapy or combination therapy so it looks like you kind of take uh it looks like you kind of take uh the um basically you take the antidepressant um the mood stabilizer the atypical and psychotic 
if they've been on an antidepressant, they failed it. You're in kind of the second line therapy. And if you do combo therapy, you just, you choose two out of those three, basically. Um, an atypical, you can use it with an antidepressant. Um, a mood stabilizer, you could, could you use a mood stabilizer with an atypical? Yes. Say something like Valproate with the... Absolutely. Okay. All, All right. of those combinations are permissible in your patient. Just think it out carefully. Just don't bring in lithium. There's no evidence. My patients don't like to take it. I know you use it in some of yours, you've told me, but... I, Honestly, I'm going to refer those guys to you if they're going to be using lithium because my patients don't like it because it makes them shake and we have to check the thyroid and stuff. They're scared of it, to be honest. I hear you. Hey, I am glad I was able to give you some direction. I got to run, but good luck with him and keep me posted, okay? Hey, man, I'll, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to talk to him and see if he's, if he's game on this, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll see what, what he says, okay? Cool. Right. See ya. Bye. So Dan came back on Friday afternoon. Oh. Hey, man, I'm going to leave this over here because right. I know how much you love it. And I'm just going to break down and talk to, talk to you, okay? All right. All right. How are you doing? Uh, same. Okay. Same. Yeah, go back and forth. I, I don't know. Next, now, you God, I was so wired last night. Oh, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, you're, I'm you're, so you're still abstinent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, can, yeah. I, I'm too depressed to drink, man. Can I just tell you, man, even though as bad as things are that you haven't taken alcohol, I, I so admire your discipline and your, I respect that. And Thank I just you. want you to hear that really. All right. Well, really you know, I, going to church helps, man. Okay. And I respect that, too. I mean, because, well, I hope you can pass things up with this girl because she and that church yeah. and your discipline are a heck of a combination. I'm trying. Speaking of combination, I... Um, I had, a, I had a visit with my buddy, the, the psychiatrist that's part yeah. of our team, and he, he, he didn't bust my chops, but he said we might have missed a couple of things. Okay. This thing. Yeah. The, the increased kind of energy. kind comes and goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird. I, the, talking uh, to you, I feel a little bit The more. sleep, the distraction, um, some of the things that are kind of the high energy stuff. Yeah. He doesn't think you have bipolar disorder, okay. but it's some of the features of like mania type things not full-blown disorder but it's something we call depression with mixed features depression with mixed features okay mixed meaning you've got the low end of mood you're yeah. depressed but you've got the high end of mood and energy you're irritable i mean no you're no. depressed and yeah. you're making me tired right yeah, yeah. so and it's not a criticism man i'm not making fun of you i mean it's just it's got to kind of be miserable to be you right now i think yep and we've tried a bunch of different antidepressants. They haven't worked. I'm thinking about, there's a, now, don't balk at the name. There's a class of medicines called atypical antipsychotics. I don't think you're psychotic. I don't think you're crazy, okay? Hmm. But that's just what they're called. They started, they, they were used at first in different groups of patients. But they've actually, there, there's one of them that's been, at least one that's been proven to work in this. And Dr. Jan has a couple that he thinks might work for you. Would you be willing to try that? Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's not going to work overnight. You have right. to take it every day. Um, you. Oh, man, I feel so miserable. I'd try about anything right now. Okay, okay. you got to yeah. take it every day. Um, if you have any problems, you need to call me. Okay. Okay. And um, I want you, in terms of side effects, in terms of, I don't think you're going to get sleepy. I don't think you're going to gain weight. Um, and I don't think it's going to affect your sexual function. I think it's going to stop some of this. Okay. I think you're going to be able to get some rest. I think you can, like, be calmer. I think it will help um, potentially reduce some of your just jitteriness and anxiety 
Um, and I'd like for you to maybe start that today and see me back, say, in about six days, because I know you got to go out of town next Friday. Okay, good. Does that, does that sound okay? Yeah, sounds okay. Have you got any questions? No. Okay. Listen, I, this has been a long journey. You've, you've been a really, you know, nobody wants to be the interesting case, uh, but I really think you're going to get better. And with, uh, with, with the team that we've got around you, and especially, you know, your, your faith and your, your home life and, and, and how well you want to be, how much you want to get well, I, th- I think you can make it. All right. I hope you're right, man. All right. All right. I'll thank you, man. Good. All right. So, what did we learn today? DSM-5 Mixed has significantly expanded our previous diagnostic categories. It's back to the future time. We've taken a time machine 98 years from where we were back to 1921, and Kreplin rules the day. A wider spectrum of mood disorders typifies how we can diagnose and treat our patients today. So not only, it's not just interesting academic nosology. The mixed feature allows us to further specify patients and to understand through ongoing research, not just in terms of new molecules, but new techniques and methodologies of, of, of treating patients, how we can best serve them. Because it does stink to be Dan. And it stinks to be Clay when you're in front of Dan time and time again with the wrong tool to fight his illness. And without a proper diagnosis, it's very difficult to understand how to best treat him. Mixed mood states are very common, and they're commonly missed. Um, These patients, as we said, 40% of patients with MDD can have alcohol use disorder, and different types of comorbidities, including substance use or alcohol use disorders, can mask some of the symptomatology at times of complex patients along the mood spectrum, including bipolar disorder and including major depressed disorder with mixed features. Um, Substantial mixed symptoms are common in all phases of treatment, and they represent a recurrence risk. This is like cancer. If you get part of it, things don't go well. It works well when you get all the disease. If you don't get all the residual symptoms of MDD out, the disease tends to recur more frequently and with a vengeance. There's an association between mixed mood states and morbidity. We talked about that, his sort of ratcheting down psychosocially. Suicide risk, we talked about how he was, um, uh, he had suicidal ideations, comorbid substance use, and personality disorders. Appropriate treatments for MDD with mixed mood um, are currently a focus of research and clinical attention. And let me tell you um, how thankful doing this talk makes me that I don't have a mixed episode of major depression. It's Damn. hard to even fake it, isn't it? Congratulations. All right. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. We're a couple minutes over, so we're going to stop. We'll see you at the next event.